Good morning. It is so great to be here. Um, my wife and I uh, spent two years in Rochester. Uh, I'm originally from Montana, and I thought I knew what cold was until we moved to Minnesota. Actually, what a beautiful place this is, but it does get rather cold in the winter, as I recall. First time it ever, I ever uh, uh, understood that tires could actually freeze flat without being flat. That was a new experience for us. Um, but it's, uh, it's wonderful to be here. Um, I uh, enjoy this place. I had an opportunity to go fishing a little bit yesterday. I'm a, I love to bass fish, and, uh, and so I got to enjoy the, the rain last night without a raincoat out on the lake, so that was an interesting time. But it is great to be here, and, and uh, there's a little bit in the bulletin about uh, me. Uh, I served with the Navigators for a number of years, and then about five years ago founded a ministry called Quest. And, and I came up with the name Quest because if you look in the dictionary as I was thinking about what we were about, um, the word, it literally means a diligent search for something of great value. And as I, I read that and I thought about what we were about, I thought, that's it. This is what we're about, uh, finding someone or some person of great value, uh, Jesus Christ. And so that was, uh, we coined the term Quest Ministries. And uh, our ministry is really geared toward those who we use the term kind of outside the walls. Uh, Most of the people that we're uh, involved with would not, at least on the front end, be someone that would walk into this church. And yet, uh, as you all know, I know all of you know those kind of people. Everybody has family members, co-workers, or just people in your neighborhood that you know that do not appear to be interested in uh, the church or in uh, what they view as Christianity. And yet, they are interested, we are finding, in learning about uh, Jesus Christ as, it's, uh, as far as relationships go. And so that's the focus of our ministry. And it's not so much what we're going to be talking about this morning because I'm talking about something that involves all of us, but uh, that's what God has called um, us to. Uh, I'm married. My wife's name is Susan. I don't know where you are, Susan. I know you're here this morning. Where are you? Because I'm going to embarrass you. There you are, right back there. Uh, she's with me this morning. And I've got uh, four children, and uh, we've got four children, I should say, and, uh, uh, and uh, three grandchildren and one on the way. So we are very excited about uh, this, and and I want to particularly this morning uh, speak to the fathers. And and I would uh, would love if you if you are a father, would you stand up? Anybody that's a father, I just would like you to stand. Okay, awesome. Well, happy Father's Day. And uh, it's tough to be away from home on Father's Day for us because it's a big day for us. And, and it's, it's the number one thing that I am proudest of, and I mean that sincerely. Um, and, there, and there's a reason for that other than just we love our children, we love our kids, they're great kids, we just are so proud of them. But I specifically want to address what I have to say <clears throat> this morning to the fathers. Now, Really what I have to say involves us all, and it doesn't matter how old you are, uh, you know, I would say as young as you can understand the gospel and, and desire to have an impact on someone's life, and we're understanding that with some young people can be pretty early. But for, as that maturing level occurs, so for your, let's say in your teenage years all the way, I don't care if you're 90 years old here and you're today, this, 
message applies to you, but I want to specifically address it to fathers because I have felt that as we've done this ministry that we're involved in, it seems that so many of the young men that we have gotten involved with are fatherless. Now, they might have had fathers and they might have fathers, but they're fatherless in terms of having that significant influence in their lives. And we have understood that that's one of the biggest uh, ministries that we've had is, is becoming, or that I've had in my own ministry, is becoming kind of a father figure, a mentor to young men and watching the impact. And so often um, we see and you see and you know this to be true, that when that influence was not for good in that young man's life or that young woman's life, it's the root of almost everything that you see happening with them. It's amazing how consistent that is, I have found. So as we talk this morning, uh, fathers, I want you to listen because this is for you specifically today and, of course, for all of us. So if you would just pray for a moment, if you bow and let's, let me just pray for us. Lord, thank you for this uh, just terrific opportunity to speak this morning. I love it. It's, it's so much fun to do this. I pray that you would uh, get me out of the way and I pray that every one of us here would be motivated today to serve you. And we commit this to you in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, Victor Frankl is a, was a Jewish psychiatrist. He uh, spent, um, endured really, uh, years in the horror of a, of a Nazi prison camp. Uh, lost everyone in his family uh, except for his sister. He and his sister were the only two that survived. His entire family was killed. And uh, he was considered uh, Europe's uh, leading psychiatrist. The, the book that uh, he wrote called uh, A Man's Search for Meaning. Um, was written initially, we wrote it in 1942. There have been several updates, but that's a long time ago, uh, 65, what, uh, 68 years ago. Um, and he observed as he was in that death camp that those who had some sense of meaning uh, for their lives outside of themselves were generally the ones that survived. Um, for Frankel, in the midst of this horror, this concentration camp, he concluded that life was to suffer and that to, to survive is to find meaning even in suffering. And if there's purpose in life at all, there must be purpose in suffering and dying. And he, 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 he liked to quote Nietzsche, uh, the philosopher, he who has a why to live for can bear almost anyhow. He really had two big ideas. The, in his, in his uh, uh, psychoanalysis that he did. One was that the striving to find meaning or purpose in one's life is the primary motiv motivational force for man. So, so meaning was it for him. Secondly, and a corollary to this, and they needed to connect, was the degree to which one is responsible to live out that meaning uh, is directly proportional to the degree of joy and fulfillment that person has in life. So really the two big ideas were that life is really about finding meaning outside of yourself. And that the degree, once you figure that out, the degree that you live that out leads to a sense of joy. And, and, and so as people would come to him for problems, that's what he actually was called logotherapy. And it was the leading the kind of uh, uh, psychoanalysis of its day back in the, well, actually for a long time in Europe and even the United States. Now, if you think about this, you know, you really had something figured out here. Um, it really is about finding meaning. The only problem with, with uh, Frankel is that there was a kind of what I call a glass ceiling. He could only take it so far. It, you had to reach inside yourself and find 
purpose and meaning. And somehow you would make it through life if you could just find something to live for, whether it was a child that was uh, dying or a, a mother to, to a mother-in-law to, to deal with or to, uh, I shouldn't say deal with, a mother-in-law to, to uh, uh, support or a dying relative, something like that. I love my mother-in-law. I really do, Susan. And, um, but, but unfortunately for, for Frankel, it was, it was only a coping mechanism. And, and, uh, I believe that what he was asking of his patients, really what I'm asking of you this morning is to consider your life, to consider with me this morning as followers of Christ, what God has to say about meaning your meaning, about your purpose, and about your freedom. And I believe those are the three big ideas that I want to talk about this morning. Identity, purpose, and freedom. The freedom to live for others, to experience what God has intended for us. You know, God is very clear about it. He has not left this up. Don't you love this, that he hasn't left us to figure this out? So I've got to kind of look inside myself and find out what life is all about. And somehow, if I live that way, I'm going to be successful and, and have joy in my life. He has not left that uh, up in the air for, for us. In John chapter 8, uh, Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If, if you follow me, you won't be stumbling through darkness, for living light will flood your path. And the Pharisees' response to this was, you're boasting, you're a liar. Your identity is a boaster, a prideful person, a liar. And here was his response. These claims are true. Even though I make them concerning myself, for I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. I love that. When I read that, as I read that, and every time I go across, come across that passage and doing a John study with something, it just jumps up at me. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. We know we, where we came from, and we know where we're going. I was uh, visiting a friend of mine who's in federal prison down in Florence, Colorado, which is a maximum security prison. This particular prison, it's a, there's several prisons there. You know, Supermax is in Florence, Colorado. All the bad guys go there. And uh, there's several levels. And this particular friend of mine, a young man, uh, was an acquaintance of my son who got sideways and actually ended up in uh, selling drugs and, and was kind of a, a big-time drug dealer and through that whole thing, I caught and, and through the whole experience, uh, uh, met Christ. It's a, quite a neat story. And if I have a chance to tell you name, uh, about him later, his name's Jeff. But I was down there visiting him. I've been mentoring him, and he's having quite an impact in that prison for Christ. It's really been awesome to watch what's happening. I go down there visiting him once a month. So I'm, uh, you know, if you, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to visit someone in prison, but it's pretty controlled. So he has to sit here, and I went over to get him something to eat. Uh, and out of a vending machine, and there's a yellow line that he can't cross. So he was sitting over there. I walked across the yellow line. I got him something. I stepped back, and there was this big, imposing-looking uh, skinhead-type guy, you know, head-shaved and a big guy. I'm not, I'm not real small, but he was a lot bigger than me. And he kind of just walked right up to me, and, I, and, I, and we weren't supposed to do that. We're not supposed to have interchange like that. So I just – and he said uh, – he introduced himself. His name was uh, – is, is Bob. He said, you know, I'm, I'm a friend of Jeff's. And Jeff had mentioned to me that he was, had been meeting with him out in the yard in the Gospel of John. And uh, he said, you know, I want to tell you something. I, uh, Jeff is the person in this prison that I want to be like. He said, I, I, I want to emulate him. I would like to be like him. In fact, he's, he's the best person in this prison that I know. Just out of the blue. And he says, but, you know, it's, it's so difficult because people will not let me be a new person. 
I've got a number. Every time anybody addresses me, they address me with as a number. Um, the other, you know, I'm known as the person that was. It turned out he was a pretty bad actor. He was a uh, an enforcer for a, a, a drug uh, a group of drug people. That he was there, and you know, there. A thug, I guess, and he looked the part. And and uh, and yet, what he was what he was wrestling with was finding a new identity. And he was seeing what was going on with Jeff, and he was connecting the two. And it was just a great opportunity. I sat there, I stood there, and began to talk to him about, as if he were a believer. And I don't believe he is, but he's moving that direction about what God offers us in Christ, that identity that we have, and how when when we belong to Christ. It's, everything's, everything's different. Everything's new. It, it doesn't matter what's, what they say. The Pharisees said, you're a liar. And Jesus said, no, I'm not a liar. I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Well, where did we come from? We did not come from heaven. You know, where did we come from? We were dead in our transgressions and sins. We walked according to the uh, prince of the air. That's what it says. That's Satan. We served him. Whether you believe it or not, that's who we served. And we, are, we, among them were, we lived among them in the lusts of our flesh. And it actually says that we were by nature children of wrath. We were by nature. That's who we were. We deserve the wrath of God. But who are we now? Where are we going? Where are we going? But God, what does it say? Being rich in his mercy, even when we were dead, he made us alive together in Christ. He raised us up with him and seated, seated us with him. That's who we are. That's our identity. And we just sit there and kind of let that soak in. We are new. We are created in Him. I've got a friend. Uh, well, uh, um, uh, verse Romans one sixteen. You, you all know it. Uh, for for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. For the, you know that the word power there, if you understand, it's the word in the Greek. It's dunamis, which is where we get the word dynamite. Well, I've got a friend that's an expert in in, in uh, explosives. He's a, kind of a crazy guy. We go out. I mean, I ha- almost hate to admit this, but we go out and. and and we shoot dynamite. Have you ever shot? It's, it's un, when you shoot, it, it goes off, and it's it's quite a it's a long story. It's just a group of guys. This guy is uh, uh, this guy uh, had on his wall in his shop. Uh, he, he he belongs in Colorado. He looks like he belongs in Colorado. But he had on his shop. Yea, though I walk through the valley of death, I will fear no evil because I'm the meanest. And that's what he was said about himself. And through this whole time. God has got a hold of his life. He's one of my guys that we're working, we were involved with, and he has taken that sign down out of his office because he, he realizes that he's not the meanest so-and-so in the valley, but now he's a new creation. It's a neat story. But one th- interesting thing about Gary is it, we're out, he had this dynamite, and he had it stuck in his pocket. And we were out there, and was some, other, some of the other guys we were with in this uh, ranch, and, and he just turned and he flipped me the stick of dynamite. Oh, man, I, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if that's ever happened to you, but I don't know much about dynamite, but I know it's bad. And, and I grabbed it, and he got a big chuckle out of that, and he, and he began to teach me about dynamite. Well, it's pretty inert, basically, until you've you got to do something to set it off, like you've got to shoot it or you've got to have a blasting cap. But other than that, you can break, break it in half. The gospel appears inert to people. Until it goes off in their life. Is that not true? If it's gone off in your life, bam, everything's the same. Every, I mean, every, nothing's ever the same again. It blows everything up. And it's actually true. When you come to Christ, when I come to Christ, the reality is, is that nothing is ever the same. And we, there's all kinds of references that relate to what's happened to us. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. 
I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ. All of those are about new things. Crucifixion means death and something new. We have an identity. God has chosen us. 1 Peter 1 1. It says to, to, to God's elect who have been chosen according. I, I don't have time to go in. But the foreknowledge of God, He chose us. The Holy Spirit drew us. Christ cleansed us. We're alive. 2 Peter 2 9. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. These are wonderful passages. A holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Now, um, I want to just speak one thing about this last little statement, a people for God's own possession. Do you know what that literally means? It literally means that God looked down at you and with me and he drew a circle around us. That's what it means. It means ownership. And I love that. I was talking with my friend Lamont. We were on the boat yesterday and we are talking. He was talking about all these wonderful things God's done for him and how he didn't deserve them. And, you know, he was such a bad, had been a bad person. He just can't believe God's been so good to him. I said, Lamont, you know, I quoted that verse. I said, you know, that would be totally consistent with what God says about us. If God owns us, if he draws a circle around us, if he died for us, if he made us alive, why would we not think that the, the, the essence of what he would be about would be for our good? It's exactly how God treats us. But it's interesting, and I want you to notice this, that as we glory in our new identity, and we need to glory in that, it is unbelievable what God's done for us. I mean, when you really think about it, when you really get in touch with it on a day-to-day basis... It blows us away that he feels like he does about us. The first three chapters of Ephesians is all about who we are in Christ. I mean, it's just a wonderful place to be. But there's a connect here. And I want you to notice that always when God talks about identity, he connects it with purpose. When I use the word always, it's not always. But in the big ideas that we've been talking about, you you generally see that. Genesis 12, God blessed us to what? That he would make us a blessing. That's what he says to Abraham. I will bless you, which is salvation. I will make you a blessing. You will be a channel to others. John 15, if you abide in the vine, you, uh, and the vine, uh, that it says that the, apart from Christ we can do nothing. It says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. And why? That you should go and bear fruit. 2 Corinthians 5, we're a new creation, therefore we're ambassadors for Christ. Galatians 2.20, we're crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live. John 17, God gave us to Jesus. Yeah, don't, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but you keep them from the evil one. They say, now, I don't, just as you have sent me, I send them. Acts 1.8, you receive power and you will be my witnesses. Do you see the connect? So the, the connect between our identity and who we are and what God has for us, you cannot, you cannot separate it. So in a sense, he is saying here, those two are hand in hand. As new creations, as new, have, have, someone who has a new identity in Christ, there is a purpose for it. What is that purpose? Well, I want to highlight two verses. In 1 Peter 1, 1, he says that we are God's elect strangers. The word stranger there literally means to, it's, it, it means that it's people who have settled alongside the unsaved and made their home, home among them. Para is to have one's home alongside of Demos, the people of a heathen city. In other words, in, in one little phrase, God's elect strangers in the world, he has said it all. What's our purpose? Our purpose is to settle down alongside those who don't have what we have. Now, why would that surprise us? Why should that surprise us? This has a huge implication. Our identity and our purpose 
cannot be separated. He deliberately chose us with purpose in mind that we might what? Literally be his presence in the midst of the unsaved world, which is where we are to make our home, deliberately, not reluctantly. It isn't like we reluctantly go out there. That's where God has for us, what God has for us. It's about being centripetal, if you know what that means. It's about going out. I know she had some people you're sending out. I love what you had to say, Carl. It is 24-7. That's a good picture. That's a wonderful thing to do. But if we're really thinking right and you understand your identity, it isn't about going to Poland. Yes, go to Poland. It's about going, leaving this place and going to where God has placed you and where he's placed me. It makes total sense. Why? Because the heart of the Lord is for the brokenhearted, the afflicted, the captive, the prisoner, the poor, the needed. Isaiah 61. You know, there's a little phrase that people use, what would Jesus do? Well, I want to I say there's another little phrase that we ought to use. Not what would Jesus do, but where would Jesus be? Now think about that. Where would he be? We don't have to guess about that. He has not left that up in the air. He would be out there. Would he be here? Of course he would come in here. But the place where he made his home was out there. And if you and I are followers of Christ, we get that. That's, that's in, integrally tied to our identity. I am sad to say that, that, as, as the, 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 that the modern church in some ways has missed that. We've missed that. We've become centrifugal. We've, we've been people that gather, and it becomes being about gathering. Do we need to gather? Yeah, of course. We need to be equipped. We need to be built up. But it's really not about being here, guys. It's about being out there. In 1 Peter 2.9, yes, we're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. But the second part is just as important, that you might proclaim the excellences, excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So how does it work? You know, we have, we have the learning curve for us these last 15, 20 years has been really uh, steep. It's been wonderful. Uh, we've learned so much. And there's a phrase that I keep using. And I use it more and more. And then the people that we're involved with are starting to use this as well out of their own lives. And the phrase is, it is so simple. It is amazing how simple this is. We make this so complicated. We've got to have a five-part plan. We got... It's really not that difficult. Uh, you remember uh, Jesus was our, our, a good uh, uh, example for us in this. So what's he asked by the, by the, uh, the expert in the law to test him? What do you remember what he was asked, teacher, what's the greatest commandment of the law? She says, all right, I'll tell you what it is. First one is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And this is the foremost and greatest commandment. And the second is like it. What does it say? Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. I, it blows me away. See, I'm going to sum the whole thing up for you. It's about loving God and loving people. That's what it's about. you got a new identity in Christ. It's about understanding. you got to start with the first one. Because if you aren't understanding the love of God has for you and aren't loving him back appropriately, it's really impossible. Because you can't live for someone else. It's the wonderful thing about the grace of God is that I don't have to earn my salvation every day. The result is that God has freed me up, freed you up. So it means to walk in light, to live out your new identity in obedience. You know, it's interesting, John, first, in 1 John, John said this. Uh, he who says, uh, 
He said, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we, have fel- if we claim to have fellowship with Him and yet walk in darkness, what did He say? We're a liar, and the truth isn't in us. That's the starting point. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. The starting point is walking in the light. Why is that so important? Because it's visible. When you and I walk in the light, we look like Jesus. Because He, the only reason we're light is because He's light. And you can understand his plan and purpose. It's about you and I walking as light in this world. What we do matters. It is visible. We represent Jesus Christ really for good or for bad. And I, I tell you, I recommend the book of First Peter. If you want a good book to read on this, because it starts off with verse 1. God's elect uh, strangers. The premise from the verse three, three, uh, uh, 3 or 4 words is the premise for the entire book. It helps us to understand what it looks like. And there's all kinds of uh, admonitions there. Live one, love one another deeply. Grow up in your salvation. Live such good lives among the lost that though they accuse you of doing evil, they may see your good works and glorify God. Be willing to suffer. And then it says, always be ready to give an answer. And so you've got this picture of people with a new identity, right? Okay. Who are making a choice. To live among those who don't have what we have. And that light, that visibility, and I see this happen all the time. That visibility is, and it'll come different ways. What's going on in your life? Tell me about how you, how you understand this. Tell me about the, the, the sense of freedom that I sense that you have. You're not like one of my friends maybe who is legalistic or is trying to always hammer me. There's just something different. We, What's that mean? That's an opportunity to say, you know what? Let me tell you about what happened in my life. I'll tell you a story real quick. This is a friend of mine named Ferris. Now, uh, Ferris and Molly are friends and Susan, and we've known them for some time. And we got involved with them through a mutual friend from New York. And uh, Ferris was wanted to have his, uh, they live in Denver, but they wanted to have their child baptized. And they were in, in New York, and, and they know this pastor friend of mine. And he said, w- will you baptize him? They were having to be on the beach. It's and he said, well, yeah, I'll, I'll, will you baptize our, there's actually a female, will you baptize our daughter, uh, Emmy? And, and he said, well, yeah, I'll do that. I'll do that on one condition, is if you commit to live your life consistent with what this book says. Well, Ferris is a pretty neat guy, and, and uh, he got thinking about that. So he came home, and, and uh, so he started reading his Bible. He started in Genesis, and he's reading it. By the time I met him, he was in Leviticus. <laughs> And I don't know how long he was going to last, honestly. But this friend of Tom was calling and says, you need to get in touch with Don. Well, he didn't call me, so fine. Tom was calling me, you need to get in touch with Ferris. I said, ah, it doesn't work that great. When you... So anyway, it worked out. We, we connected. So I met him. He's reading this. He's in Leviticus. And it took me two times to, to convince him we needed to go into the New Testament because he'd never looked at it. But we did. And Ferris became a believer. Uh, his Molly became a believer. Susan and I got involved with him. Well, this wonderful journey began in Ferris's life. And one of the things he began to have is he began to change. And, and at one, about three years into this, or he, he called me one day, this isn't two years ago, and he said, I want you to baptize me. You know, and I, I, I said, well, sure, I'll do that. And I, I believe that when someone's ready for doing, when someone's really ready for that to happen, they'll let you know. And he did. And, and he said, now, I don't want to really do it so much in front of our community. He said, but I want to do it in front of my family. Now, you got to understand, his family are not where Ferris is. And it's a very wealthy family, kind of. Uh, anyways, there's some dynamics that go on in there. 
So we meet over his mother's house in this pool, and, and it, was, it was an odd kind of a deal. So I got an opportunity to explain baptism, which is basically to share the gospel. So here now in front of his whole family. So here Ferris has come to Christ. His life's changed in front of his whole family. And I want to baptize him. So in order to do that, I need to explain what we're going to do, right? So I'm explaining what we're going to do. And, and it was like, I'm telling you, it was so Ferris and Molly and their kids are sitting here on the, the, this big expanse of a porch outside the great big house. And, all the family. He invited his uncles and his. It was, it was really kind of neat. And they're all sitting. And I mean, it was like the deer in the headlights. I mean, the eyes were. It was such an interesting experience. So, I go through this whole thing. Then so we go down to this pool, an indoor pool, in their house, and and then we baptize. Now it was so interesting to watch the dynamic because here's Ferris who is making his, is not making a stand. He is living his life freshly in front of his family. He comes out of the wall. I mean, I have never seen a more excited, wonderful experience. It was such a great experience for us. What's happening now is he's beginning to naturally live out his life among his family. So now they're, as, they're, as he's moving through life, they're working and building on his house, and they have a, a couple carpenters that are in there working, and they begin to observe their life. And after a period of time, this carpenter says to him, you know, I've really had trouble sleeping. And I, I got, in fact, I, he turns out he's having a second divorce. And he, so what's fair to say? He says, well, you know, I'll tell you, I, I used to have trouble sleeping. In fact, I had a lot of reasons to have trouble sleeping, the stuff I was into. He said, then I, I got this friend I met. His name's Jesus. And, I, and he said, I got to tell you, I don't have problems sleeping anymore. So he began to talk. He says, would you like to, would you like to hear about this? He says, yeah. So first, he says, would you be willing to get with me and with I said, well, you get, okay, I'll get with you. So we get together and we open the book of John. We're reading through the book of John. And it's like, to me, flat brainwave. Nothing's going on. This is like four or five, six weeks into it. Get together over at this little restaurant on this guy's lunch hour. So we meet over there. Well, I noticed he started bringing his friends. So he brought a couple of the other carpenters with him. Now we got a little group of guys meeting in this restaurant. They got their car. I mean, it's, you know, you can tell they got the pencils behind the ear and the, and, you know, it's, it's just a, you know, Ferris is a, a, a businessman, very wealthy. So there's this kind of a little bit of disconnect socioeconomically, but we're together. We're reading the Bible, flat, flat brain wave. And I'm, I tell Ferris, well, I don't know anything's going on here. I've seen this happen so many times. I knew something was going on because I know that the word of God works. So about four or five weeks into it, I get a call from Doug. He says, oh, man, I had this tough situation. I went to this store and this thing happened with me and I says, I've got such a temper and I realized that I was going to explode and I, I go into the details. But, but he said, I, I just at that moment realized I need Jesus. I need what we've been reading about. And he's telling me this on the phone. I mean, I get this call. He says, you know, so I just said, I need help, Lord. Will you, Jesus, will you come into my life? Dynamite went off. Can't believe what's going on. So Doug comes in, he starts telling us this, and I'm going, wow, what happened here? So this, his life starts to change. We continue to meet. One of the other guys, uh, his life starts to change. One of the other guys that's involved in this ends up killing himself. Believe it, it's another story. We believe that he understood and heard the gospel in the process. He got drunk one night, had an argument with his uh, uh, girlfriend and, and took his own life and we went to the funeral. Well, this is the real life dynamic that's going on. So Doug calls me about uh, three, four weeks later. He says, you know, I was talking to my son. He says, he's going through this hard time. And I said, I, you know, I've really been praying. I never knew he prayed anything. He says, I've been praying for him. Really? So what happened? He says, yeah, you know, he received Christ today. 
Wow. See how this works? So, well, he likes to fish. Two weekends ago, I said, well, let's go fishing. So I took my boat and went down to this lake. He brought his son. On the way down there, we're talking. Now, Doug's this new believer. His son's this new believer. And he's talking about the stuff that's going on in school and how he's, that's what it looks like. Now, I want you to understand something. This is not about me. This is not about my ability to be successful or that I'm really good with this. I'm trying to say it this way. It's just about life. It's about how the gospel works. It is the dynamite of God in people's lives. It flows naturally. It flows naturally through your life if you'll let it. And one of the results of what God does in us is he frees us to do this, doesn't he? Understanding your identity and your purpose leads to freedom. Galatians 5.1, for it was for freedom that Christ set you free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. We are free, guys. It's, we are free to do what? He tells us later. Do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I understand the essence of the book of Galatians is about the law, and we've been set free from the law. But see, what did the law do? It told me that I've got to perform, that I've got to do something. And you know what? As long as I'm doing something, as long as Satan keeps me doing something, I don't care what happens to somebody else. But the moment I get free, all of a sudden, I have the ability to really care what happens to someone else. And that's how it works. And it's no accident. I quoted Matthew 22. Guess what's the second part of that verse? Do not turn your, free, your freedom to an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in love your neighbor as yourself. See what Paul's saying? He's saying, look, you've been set free. Live it out. Don't serve yourselves. Don't come in here and just congregate here. Don't only hang out with your buds that are, that are like you. My, my daughter-in-law, Brenda, uh, is getting this. She grew up in a very legalistic uh, Christian environment, and she's, she's getting freed up. It's really wonderful to watch this. And uh, she was telling me that she's got this group of mothers she's meeting with now. And it's like this mother's group they, in her neighborhood. It's not a mops thing, but they, they, they just meet. There's all these young mothers that live in her condos and there, and she's got... She's saying, oh, it's such a great opportunity. She's getting it. She's, oh, I just love it. So-and-so, she's telling me about, you know, the stuff that happens in life and the stuff these mothers talk about, and it's pretty rough stuff, and how hard it is with their husbands and how, you know, whatever. There's one other girl in there that's a Christian. So Brenda's kind of excited about this, right? So this girl finally comes to her, and she goes, you know, i gotta, I got to quit the group. Brenda says, why? She goes, well, they're just not like me. They're not like me. They don't, I don't, you know, I don't, it's uncomfortable what they're talking about. I don't feel like they're like me. You know, I, I need to get back with people that are like me. And I, I just, I, as she told me this, and, and, and Brenda tried to encourage her not to, which she ended up leaving the group. Unfortunately, that's our mindset. It's the opposite of the way it ought to be. See, that's right where she needs to be. She needs to be around Brenda to be encouraged, but she needs to be right in the middle of the mix. And that where God, that's where God put us. Each of us is being changed, transformed. It's visible. God intends us to make our home alongside the, uh, those without Christ. And excuse me, as we build relationships with our friends 
and live out our lives among them, we will have an opportunity to tell our story. You have a story. I have a story. Once we get an opportunity, just open the Bible and begin to look at it. And I want you to think about something in closing. This little, this little uh, uh, I keep looking at my watch because I, I, I can't believe how fast time goes, and so I don't want to go over, but I'm okay. i got just a little bit of time left here, so I'm within my time frame, Carol. So I, I want a little exercise. And we did this, I did this myself one time. We did it with our little community that we're involved with, a core group of people we meet with that are really working with us to, to, in our, this ministry. And I want you to think about your own life. Think about your life right now. Think about those people who you know, your family, your friends, your co-workers, your neighbors. I don't care who they are. We're every, everybody's unique, right? Every, every one of you has a unique set of your children, your grandchildren, has a neat, unique set of relationships. God has uniquely placed you there. That's your relational network. It's not my relational network. In fact, the truth is, that's the beautiful thing about this, is that every one of us in some ways are touching different people. That's where God is at work. Trust him to work in and through you. After all, that's his plan. Think about what that looks like. If you put it up on the board here, if you drew, we've done this. If you draw your, put your name and your wife's name, and it's amazing where it'll go. It'll probably take you outside Minneapolis, to other cities, to other states, maybe to other countries. That's the way it works. It's random, isn't it? You don't know. It's not like you can control this. It's what's so beautiful about it. Now, think for a moment about the relational networks represented by all of you right here today. Do you think we could, could, could we get those on those two screens if we wrote small, do you think? What do you think? Absolutely no way. I can, I can tell you for sure. If we just took one-fourth of this section, there's no way we'd be able to get all of those if you really thought about it. It's really a neat exercise to do. And then if we started looking at geography, it'd blow you away. It'd, it'd be all over the world. It would be. Now, What if, for some reason, you were not able to meet here anymore? Bam. Doors were closed for whatever reason. Didn't pay the bills. I don't know what, you know, uh, uh, the, the, you know, the, uh, whatever. What would change regarding that? What? Would anything change? You see where I'm going with this? Identity and purpose in Christ to serve others. It's not limited to a building. It's not limited to a group of people. That's the beauty of this. Do we need one another? Absolutely. Do we need community? I'll bet Carol would find you guys or you'd find him. You know, it's true. I mean, we would find one another because we need that. I'm not minimizing. In fact, I know the importance of community. Part of our mission statement is about planting community among those without Christ. We would have the same relationships, we would have the same non-believing friends, and we would find one another. You know, God's plan is absolutely marvelous. It's beautiful. And as followers of Christ, we're at the heart of it. The gospel, do you realize the gospel is subversive? It's the most subversive. It is absolutely dynamite. It blows things up. That's why the word is used. It, it's not some little firecracker. And I believe if the, if the word nuclear, nuclear was around at that time, 
That's the word that would be used. Dynamite is nothing. It's nuclear and whatever's beyond that. That's how big this thing is that we're a part of. It's not fragile. You can't stop it. It is the power, the dunamis, the dynamite of God. And when it goes off in someone's life, everything changes. It's absolutely just marvelous to behold. You know, it's possible for you to walk out of here today, and I mean this positively. I'm not meaning this in a guilt sense, because I'm not about putting anybody on a guilt trip. I want to motivate you. I want to fire you up this morning. It's possible for you to walk out of here today without changing anything in terms of those networks. That's my point. Related to your context, where you live, the cars you drive, who your family is, whatever. And yet, to have everything change in light of living out your identity and purpose and being freed up to do what God wants for you. You know the word joy in John 15? Jesus says, you hook into me, good things are going to happen. He says, I didn't choose you, you chose me, go bear fruit. He says, now, these, why do you write you these things? He says, I'll tell you why I wrote these things to you, that my joy, joy, joy might be in you and that your joy might be made complete. You know what the word joy means? You know what it translates? Ecstasis, ecstasy. That's a big word. And the word ek is out of stasis, is static. It means you will no longer be a static person. It's like you want to hook into him. I love to call my friends, our community. I don't know what's going on. I go, what's going on today? And I hear, oh, man, bam, dynamite went off. Or this has happened over. It's just like, it's, it's like exciting. You know, you get up, you go, what's going on? What's going to happen today? That's what Jesus is talking about. But you are not like that, for you have been chosen by God himself. You are priests of the king. You are holy and pure. You are God's very own. All this so that you may show to others how God has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were less than nothing, now you are God's own. Once you knew very little about God's kindness, now your very lives have been changed by it. Uh, as my friend Ferris, who is no longer a new believer but is a co-laborer with us, it's, yeah, I just love it to watch what's happened in his life. As he would say, and he has said this to me, this is serious stuff. <laughs> I love it. It is, isn't it? This is serious stuff. This is serious business. And I want to challenge you today, fathers and the rest of you, but I'm going to speak particularly your fathers. You have an opportunity to impact your family. Your kids, that's the starting place. To lead your wife. To do what? To live out your identity. To fulfill your calling as a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And to stand firm in your freedom, not to serve yourselves, but to serve others. And your model will make a difference, period. That's my challenge to you this morning. I I pray that you will take this up. I pray that you will walk out of here thinking differently today about your identity, about your purpose, and about your freedom to serve others with your whole heart. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this, just this opportunity. I love it to to be able to to share. And Lord, now as we leave... um, Lord, I just pray that you would go with us. 
and that you would uh, now as we commit ourselves to you, to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly beyond what we even ask or think according to the power that works within us. To him be the glory and the power in the church, in his people forever.